Good morning. It's so good to see all of you. Normally, like John was saying, I, we will be looking at the camera, but today it's so good to see real faces. And uh, so today, my topic is on God's faithfulness and truth in the series of Knowing God. Okay, many people are confused with regards to God's faithfulness. They feel that if God answers their prayer, then God is faithful. If God gives them health, wealth, safety, a problem-free life, then God is faithful. I've been a believer now for 44 years, and I have my ups and downs. I'm fickle, but one thing I can say is that God is faithful. God is faithful not because He answers my prayer. Otherwise, you know, all my investment, all my businesses will be you know, uh, doing very, very well. Uh, the team that I supported, you know, they'll all be world champions, right? But God is faithful because that is who He is. He is the faithful God. Looking back, I realized the following, that my faith depends a lot on my, un on my understanding of God. So faith is not something that you can switch on or you can switch off. We often hear people say, have more faith. Or just put your faith in God. But faith does not begin with us, but with God Himself. We need to know God. We need to know who He is, His attribute, and His character. Today, I'll continue our Knowing God series, speaking on God's faithfulness and truth. We will look at the life of Abraham, often referred to as the father of faith. Is there something special about him? Or is he just like us? We will see his progression from a doubtful person to a person of faith. The more he knew God, the greater his faith grew until he was able to pass a test, a test that God set out to reveal his deep faith in God. And that's why we read in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Let's read from Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 to 14. After these days, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, his, on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, 
God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hands on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. And seeing that you have not withhold your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the tickets by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the, place, the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to, his, to this days, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Before we continue, let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you help us to know that you are a faithful God, that as a result of that understanding, our faith in you would increase and we will be your, uh, and we will be your covenant who would trust and obey all that you required of us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For reason that we were not told, God took the initiative with Abraham and invited him into a covenant with him. Note as we read Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3, that all is about what God was going to do. There's nothing about Abraham except that he just needs to take the first step of obedience, that is to go from his country. Let's read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. It says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great, so that you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and he who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Is there something special about Abraham to cause God to choose him? No, I don't think so. Nothing that we're aware of, at least until Abraham got to experience the truth of God's attribute and develop that into real faith. Let's look at Abraham's journey with God. Now, initially, he was called Abram before God gave him the name Abraham, which means father of many nations. When called to go from his country and his kindred to his father's, uh, to, uh, and his father's house to the land that God will show him, Abraham actually, or Abram took Lot with him. Is that disobedience? After all, he was called, supposed to, you know, leave his kindred. You know, Abraham at that time was 75 years old. Some commentators mentioned that actually Lot was his uh, plan B, his heirs, you know, in the event that he's not able to have any offsprings. After that, we read about a severe famine in the place you know, that God has asked Abraham to be. And so, and, uh, and then what happened was Abraham left and went to Egypt. 
So you could actually again speculate, you know, why did Abraham not stay in the land that God has promised him? Can we speculate that a man of greater faith would have stayed? After all, you know, if God has brought him there, surely, you know, God would look after him, right? And God would take care of him. But no, Abraham actually left and, uh, you know, went to stay in the land of Egypt. And so we further read that, uh, you know, his doubt was revealed further when he asked Sarah, his wife, to lie that he was his sister. I mean, the Bible says that Sarah was a very beautiful woman and uh, Abraham was afraid that the Egyptian, especially the Pharaoh, when looking at Sarah, would say, wow, that's a woman, and, that, and, and because of her, he may kill Abraham. And so what happened was then Abraham or Abram lied that Sarai was his sister. And so sure enough, the Egyptian didn't realize that he was his wife. Actually, the Pharaoh took her, and God has to intervene in such a way by revealing to Pharaoh because uh, there was a plague that happens to them, okay, that uh, actually Abraham and Sarai, they were husband and wife. And so God rescued you know, uh, Abraham out of his doubt. Yeah. And this actually didn't happen just once. It happens a second time as well. That time with the Abimelech. And so the above action shows that initially, Abraham didn't have that strong of a faith. However, Abraham realized that despite his weaknesses and fear, God is faithful and rescued him from what could have been a series of very problematic situations. In Genesis 13, we saw Abraham's faith in God increases. Abraham, God used his nephew Lot to teach Abraham many lessons regarding his faithfulness. For example, in one incident, you know, when the, you know, the, the herdsmen of Abram and Lot, when there was just too many herds among them, Abram actually took Lot to a, to a mountaintop and said, okay, you look to see which land because we need to split up. Otherwise, you know, there's just not enough land for the herds. Okay, and then he asked Lot to choose. Which one do you choose? You know, you want to choose this place or you want to choose this place? If you choose this, I will go the other side. If you choose this, I will go the other side. And sure enough, you know, Lot actually chose the, <laughs> the better land, right? He chose the land which was green, which was, you know, uh, very productive. And Abraham actually was left with the land that was the lesser land. Okay, but at that time, Abraham actually realized that God is able to look after him. It's not the environment, it is who God is. And so at that time, he already realized that God is faithful in looking after his needs. After all, you know, even when he was fleeing to, to Egypt, you know, he came back with a lot more cattle and wealth. And, and in another incident uh, with Lot, is, you know, Lot was uh, taken by four, four kings and the armies. Okay? And then Abraham with just, what, 318 trained men, he was able to rush out and able to rescue Lot. Yeah, that shows that Abraham at that time already realized that God is faithful to look after him, to, to look after his safety, and that he's able to, to protect him from even a much larger armies, such as the armies of four kings. 
So often, God allows people like Lot to come into our life so that our faith may increase. Who is our Lot? We must allow God to strengthen our faith through Him. We continue Abram's stories with Genesis chapter 15. It reads, uh, verse 1 and 2, Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. You know, when you reach a certain age, you know, additional wealth may not be such a big thing to you. After all, you realize that you cannot take it with you. You know, right now we are seeing people with, you know, trying to protect their various legacies, like uh, Bill and Melinda Gates. You know, they set up foundation to help solve some of the world's problems. You see some of the richest men in the world trying to be the first person, you know, to go to outer space uh, by, you know, doing rockets and so forth. You're also seeing that there are people that write books and so forth, okay? But most would be looking for successor to help to lift their legacy and wealth too. And that's what Abram was thinking of. Because he was thinking, what good would these things you have given to me? For I am childless. That's what he, he, asked, he told the Lord. And God reassured him once again and asked him to look towards heaven and count the stars. If you're able to number them, so shall your offspring be. The Bible acknowledged his faith with this word. And he believed the Lord and he counted to him as righteousness. God was not just faithful in his eternal plan, but he faithfully reminded Abram of that plan. God did that to encourage him in his faith. God continues to encourage Abram by revealing his promise in Genesis chapter 15. In verse 8, Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall process it? You know, many times we have doubt, right? We have, how am I to know? Okay, he doubt about whether God is able to provide for him. He said this to, and then God says this to him in verse, uh, uh, in, uh, in verse 9. It says, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them, him all this cut in half and laid each half over against the other. And in verse 17, we continue reading. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I'll give this land. So this is how people, the ancient people, they make a covenant, is that you know, they will cut dead animals and then uh, you know, they, will, they will then uh, have, a, have a procedure. And basically it's saying that, okay, if I do not uh, fulfill this covenant, if I do not true to my words, then I'll be like those dead animals. Probably the, the, the the thing that we can probably associate with is probably like those, you know, those triad gangs in like Hong Kong and so forth. Yeah, when they, when they'll have a ceremony. So they will cut the neck of the chicken and then they'll pour the blood and they'll drink from those blood. Basically saying that if I do not fulfill my, uh, my, my words or, 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 or my trust 
to your trust in me, this will what happens to me. Okay, so basically, they are, they are identifying themselves that if they break that covenant, then they'll be dead like the chicken. And so here is, here is um, what God is saying is that if the covenant is broken, may the participant be cursed like the dead animal. I like the way Tim Keller put it. He says, God is saying, I have promised to bless. I have promised to be your God and to bring salvation to the world. And if I don't do what I say, may my immutability experience mutation. May my immortality suffers mortality. May my infinity suffers limitation infinitely. May my power suffers powerless. May the possible become impossible. May I be cut off. May I be destroyed. May my body be ripped to pieces. God make a covenant with Abraham. A covenant is greater than a contract. You know, the, great, the nearest thing I could think about a covenant in, at the, this moment is probably a marriage vow. That's a covenant. But many times we even took that and treated it like a contract. You know, a husband will say to the wife, even Christian husband, I will love you if you submit to me. And the wife will turn around and say, okay, I'll submit to you if you love me as Christ loved the church. And so a covenant become a contract. And that's what it is like at, at this time, you know, uh, between us. Okay? However, a covenant is a pledge of complete and utter faithfulness. In this case, God pledged his own faithfulness to Abraham. You notice in this case, it is God who is, who is the one that, you know, that walked through, right? Uh, as they say, in a smoking pot. Okay? But Abraham, what was he doing? He was actually you know, in a deep sleep at that time. Okay? So, so you could say that that covenant is a unilateral covenant. Basically, God knows that man, Abraham and his descendant, they would not be able to be faithful. And basically what God is saying is that even though you, are, you cannot be faithful, you will not be faithful. I will take this covenant and I will do it unilaterally. It will be one-sided. I will do it if, I'm, you know, if I, I, I do not uh, uh, do what I promise. And even if you do not do what you promise, I will uh, you know, honor this covenant. It is the pledge of complete and utter faithfulness. God honors this covenant through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ at the cross, which we will see, you know, I mean, right now, you know, uh, previous, at that time, Abraham didn't know about Christ dying on the cross. Uh, but as now, we can see that, you know, Jesus has, has uh, died for us at the cross. Okay, at that point, Abraham knew that God was faithful in meeting all his needs, securities, food, and dwelling. However, there's still this issue of offspring. Despite God's faithfulness, Abraham still regarded that, that as an impossible one. You know, sometimes we know God to be faithful in this, God to be faithful in that, God to be faithful. And we will probably say, well, you know, God is faithful, but there's still that one thing, you know, that we feel that 
God is not faithful. And we probably reason it out this way. We say, well, after all, you know, this, our God is faithful nine out of ten. You know, what, what, what more can you expect, right? After all, if you look at those, uh, you know, God that's made by humans, I mean, most of the time they, they I mean, they, they, first of all, they are dead, but, but they, they would not be able to fulfill anything. So if God is nine out of ten times faithful, we say, well, that's good enough. But then with that one remaining one, which we, we call the impossible one, we try to help God. After all, you know, there's a saying that says, God helps those who help themselves, right? By the way, uh, that's not biblical, okay? In this case, Abraham, Abraham may reason, Sarah has already passed the age of childbearing. It is impossible for Sarah at this age you know, to conceive. So what to do if God cannot perform? Maybe we should help God. And so we read in Genesis chapter 16, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, his servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. So this caused actually all kinds of problems to Abram. His wife became jealous and treated the servant harshly, as he felt that Hagar treated her with contempt. In chapter 17, God spoke to Abram again, and God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her her name Sarai, for Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and moreover. I'll give you a son by her. I'll bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a, a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. You know, at that time, God has already promised Abraham four times. Still, Abraham doubted and actually laughed at the absurdity of the idea. He suggested to God a plan B. But God, with God, there's always just His plan. With God, there's always no plan B because, you know, God can always do what He says He will be doing. He's always faithful in carrying out His plan. And so, uh, like Abraham here, some of us may have something that we believe to be out of God's range. Or we believe that God is either not interested or not able. In Matthew chapter 6, we read Jesus teaching this. Do not be anxious about your life. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Sure enough, Isaac was born to Abram and 
Abraham and Sarah shortly after that. Again, Abraham experienced God's faithfulness, even in that one thing that he doubted and thought to be impossible, because nothing is impossible with our faithful God. From a faithful man, Abraham had developed to be a man of faith, a man who believed that God is faithful to his words, to his own being, to his character. The things that God has spoken, God will deliver. God is faithful to his word. It is important for us that we have similar growth in our faith with God. So now we, we now turn to our text in Genesis chapter 2. We read that after these things, God tested Abraham. He wants to see if Abraham truly has faith in God. He tested Abraham by asking Abraham to take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. And Abraham responded in the most obedient way. From the following verse, we see Abraham's faith in God's faithfulness. One, it, 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 it read here that Abraham rose early in the morning. You know, early in the morning, it actually shows about one's uh, obedience. Yeah? Normally, if you do not want to do certain things, you will just say, well, why do it early in the morning? You just do it in the afternoon. And when afternoon comes, you say, let's just do it in the evening. And then evening comes, you say, well, it's probably too late. Let's just wait to the next day. And so the same thing happens the next day, and after that, the next day, and the next day. But here it says that Abraham did it early in the morning. And so um, second is that uh, it says that when they arrived at the place, Abraham said to his servant, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship. And then note here it says, and come again to you. Yeah. He believed and had faith that Isaac will come back with him. He didn't say that I will come back alone, but he said that we will come back to you. Again, num uh, point three is when Isaac asked, where is the sacrificial lamb? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Arriving at the place, Abraham placed Isaac on the altar and was about to sacrifice him when the angel of the Lord stopped him. Do not lay your hands on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withhold your son, your only son, from me. You know, what would cause a man to do something like what Abraham is doing? From what Abraham has said, we know that he truly believed that God would be faithful to his promise and bless him through Isaac and that there will be a blessings to all nations. He believed that God will supply a substitute lamb or if Isaac is killed, was killed, God will raise Isaac from the dead. What a faith. How did he arrive at that point? It was through all his experience and interaction with God. He finally got it that God is a faithful God and that God is faithful to his words and his promise, that God is a covenant God. In subsequent books of the Bible, we see how God was faithful to his promise to Abraham's descendant, to Isaac, to Jacob. And when they become slaves in Egypt, God delivered them out of Egypt, took them back to the promised land. And how God remained faithful 
all the way to King David. And even when they were exiled, you know, God brought them back from Babylon, back to the land until the time of Jesus. We can see God's faithfulness in his divine plan, especially in his salvation design. By drawing a parallel between the sacrifice of Isaac and the sacrifice of Christ. From Genesis chapter 2, chapter 22, we read many parallels between the sacrifice of Isaac and the sacrifice of Jesus. For example, in verse 2, it says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. In another case, is, uh, it mentioned the region of Moriah and to sacrifice Isaac there, verse 2. It is also believed that this same area is where the city of Jerusalem was built many years later. Jesus was, sacrificed, was crucified in the same area that Isaac had been laid on the altar. Number three is sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Christ died for our sin according to the scripture. And in Genesis chapter 22, verse 6, it, it, it reads, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And in John chapter 17, verse 17, it, it, uh, sorry, John chapter 19, verse 17, it reads, Jesus, carrying his own cross, walked to Calvary. Can you see the parallel there? In Genesis chapter 22, verse 7, it says, But where is the lamb or the burnt offering? In John chapter 1, verse 29, the apostle John said, Look, the lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb. And in, uh, Jesus is likened to a spotless lamb in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 19, and a, slim, and a slain lamb in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. And in Genesis 22, verse 9, Isaac, who was a young man at the time of his sacrifice, acted in obedience to his father. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, it reads that Jesus prayed, My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I am, but as you will. And then Isaac was resurrected figuratively. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. That's found in Hebrew chapter 11, verse 19. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 4, it says, Jesus was buried and was raised on the third day, according to the scripture. So many centuries after God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, Jesus said this, Your father Abraham rejoices at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. John chapter 8, verse 56. This is in, ref in reference to Abraham's joy in seeing the lamb caught in the ticket in Genesis chapter 22. That lamb was a substitute that would save Isaac's life. Seeing that ram was, in essence, seeing the day of Christ, the substitute for all of us. 
There are many other parallels in the Bible relating to the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. They include Noah's Ark, the Passover in Exodus, and, the, and Jonah and the giant fish. From the story of Abraham, we see that God is faithful to five uh, things. One is to his divine plan. Second is to his faithfulness in his uh, salvation design. Three is to his covenant. Four is to his word. And five is to his character. So his divine plan. Throughout the Bible, we see countless prophecies of the coming of the Savior. From Genesis to the last book of the Old Testament to Revelation, we see that everything points to Jesus, the coming Messiah. The Bible is Jesus' story, is His story. From this, we see God's faithfulness to His divine plan. Right from the beginning, when God created everything, including mankind, His desire is to, for us as His children uh, to be His children and He to be our Father. We were told from the beginning to go forth and multiply and fill the earth. You see, God wants lots and lots of children. And before Jesus ascended to heaven, He told us to fulfill the great commission, that is to make disciples of all nations. And we again see at the end in Revelation, we see God's children gathered together, having been reconciled to Him, gathered together to worship Him. I'm so glad that God is faithful to His divine plan. When man sinned against God, God has already a salvation design that will not compromise His righteousness and holiness with His love. That plan is so that His only begotten Son to die in our place. All the way from Genesis chapter 3, we see God's faithfulness to His salvation design. You know, many times Satan tried to destroy God's uh, salvation design, but God is faithful and God is able to succeed in every ways to carry out His plan. So he is able and he is faithful to his salvation plan. The other thing is God has covenant to be true to his, uh, to his salvation plan. As we see from Abraham's story, it does not matter whether mankind is faithful or not. God is always faithful. He did not just say it, he covenanted himself to do it. Effectively, they are saying that he will do it even if he has to shed his own blood to achieve it. And that's what happened when Jesus died at the cross. Because at the cross, a new covenant was established. Under the new covenant, all of mankind was given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift. Our responsibility is to exercise faith in Christ, the one who fulfilled the law on our behalf and brought an end to law's sacrifices through his own sacrificial death. Through the life-giving Holy Spirit who lives in all believers, we share in the inheritance of Christ and enjoy a permanent, unbroken relationship with God. If God is not faithful to his word, we will not be safe. There will be no hope, no future. The death of Christ at the cross will have no effect, no value for us. Why? Because God, is, because God is faithful to His Word, we are safe. 
we who put our trust and, and hope in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who believe in the Word of God. Because the Word of God says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. And if we believe in this, and if God is not faithful to His words, then the words that we believe in will be to no avail. So God is faithful to His words. There are many promises given under the new covenant. Just as God was faithful to His word then, God is faithful to His words now. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Among the things He promised is that He will sustain this earth that we are living in. We don't have to worry at night, wondering if the world will still be around when we wake up. And the, the other thing is that he, he says that He will never leave us nor forsake us. And that is actually very reassuring during this pandemic time. Also, God promised that His grace will be sufficient for us and that He will meet all our needs. These are just some of His promises. It is important for us to, re, re, to be reminded of His faithfulness to His words. This is important also at this stressful time for us to be reminding others of God's faithfulness as well. Finally, God is faithful to His character. He cannot deny Himself. God cannot change to be someone else because He is the eternal I Am. So far in this Knowing God series, the teaching team has preached on His supremacy, His holiness, His righteousness, His patience, His mercy and, just, and, and grace and His love. These are all the characters and attributes of God. He cannot change. He cannot suddenly stop being holy, righteous, patient, merciful, love, etc. Likewise, He cannot suddenly stop being faithful because that is who God is. God's faithfulness is not to us, nor dependent on us, but to His words, to His own being, to His character. The Bible in 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 reads that if we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. He is the holy God that cannot lie or deny Himself. We can see from Abraham's story that God is faithful regardless of Abraham's faithfulness. He is faithful to His words, His being, His character. He cannot be unfaithful. And just as God is faithful, God also demands that we, whom God has predestined to conform to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, should also be faithful to God. How do we do that? What are the implications from what we have learned? Faith. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is trust in the promise of the living God. People often say that faith is blind. My friend, faith is not blind. It is not hoping that something, that somehow everything will just work out. It involves seeing the faithfulness of God. It is an assurance, it is an assurance faith in a God who is faithful. Faith is not also something we believe will happen when we have confidence in it, when we are positive. You know, sometimes we see certain things, we say we are positive that this will happen. 
Yeah, because we have faith that it will happen. No, it is when we trust and believe in the word and promises of our faithful God. When we trust in the God who remains faithful even when we are not. And in a God who cannot change. In conclusion, I know that we have a wide range of listeners here. Some of you may be new in your faith journey. You may wish to have a faith like Abraham. Some may be thinking, what if God asks me to sacrifice something which is precious to me? Or ask me to do something that I do not want? Do I have that type of faith to obey? My friend, this is the wrong, that is a wrong starting point. The right starting point should be this. Do I know, trust, and believe in a holy, righteous, merciful, compassionate, and loving God? Do I believe that I serve a God who is in, on a throne, who is truly sovereign and truly trustworthy? A God who is faithful, who cannot deny His words, His eternal plan, His character. How do I know this faithful God? you may ask. The Bible speaks about the Word become flesh. God become flesh. Jesus came into this world. So in order to know the faithful God, we just need to look at the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we, then from there, we can see how God display His faithfulness. By looking at the cross, we can see the faithfulness of our God. So what do we do when we see and experience the faithfulness of God? The Bible tells us to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the cross. Thank you, Father, that you sit on the throne, that you are sovereign, you are holy, you are righteous, merciful, compassionate, and loving. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Father, that when we are exhausted from life's storm, we can put our faith in the faithfulness of God. Thank you that even when we are in the shadow of death, we can put our faith in the faithfulness of God. And when nothing seems to be going right, we can continue to put our faith in the faithfulness of God. That is because you are a faithful God. Also, when we are doing well on the mountaintop, we are reminded to continuously put our faith in the faithfulness of God because you are a faithful God and has an eternal plan for us. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, O God. Thank you that even though we are faithless, you are faithful and will continue to be faithful. Thank you that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And whatever you promise, you will do it. Thank you, Father, that we can read in lamentation that the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassion never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Amen.